0: We're going to do a couple more just chapter stuff. Topical lessons, I guess you could say. And we'll focus on chapters or uh, sections of Scripture. And then probably two, three more this this week, next week, and the following week. And then we'll maybe we'll get to Luke.
1: Maybe. We just
0: got out of Romans, so we're going to take a p- pretty good break. And then, because once you get into Luke, we're going to be there for... Ten years. At least two years. It probably took us probably take us two years. But
1: I'm dead in there still. <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll do it differently than we did Romans. Romans is more doctrinal, so you have to go, almost go verse by verse. You might want to hurry up. the yeah, You might want to hurry up, the <laughs> right?
1: We will be, because my sister Carol is 76. So, are you in better health than Carol? It has
0: nothing to do with it. So in Isaiah chapter 10, Nine. what our topic is, and we talked about it in. In terms of before, but it's going to be we're going to study the the sovereignty of God and the accountability of human beings. How it works together, how God rules and reigns over everything, yet human beings are also held accountable for their actions. And this is a good chapter to see that in Scripture. So I'm going to read. I don't want. I guess I'll. All right. I guess I'll read all the way through it, and then we'll kind of go back through Sean. This is a pretty long chapter, but I'll just read through it, and then we'll go back through it. All right. This is Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1. Woe to those who enact evil statutes and to those who constantly record unjust decisions so as to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor of my people of their rights so that widows may be their spoil and that they may plunder the orphans. All right. So that first chunk there is about Israel. God's describing what Israel's doing. Okay, so the next section is of how he's going to punish Israel. Now, what will you do in the day of punishment and in the devastation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the captives or fall among the slain. In spite of all this, his anger does not turn away and his hand is still stretched out. So the first section there, first two verses were about Israel's evil, what they're doing. And then the next two scriptures are about God summarizing the punishment that's going to come their way for their evil. All right, verse 5. Woe Did you to!
1: ever get that
0: from Latin. Well, I've read it. I've studied it. Before.
1: Okay, because uh, I certainly didn't get
0: that. You kind of have, have to have the context. Okay. All right, verse 5. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hands is my indignation. I send it against a godless nation, and commission it against the people of my fury, to capture booty and to seize plunder, and to trample them down like mud in the streets. Yet it does not so intend, nor does it plan so in in its heart, but rather it is is its purpose to destroy and to cut off many nations, for it says, Are not my princes all kings? Is not Calno like Carchemish? or hamath like arpad or samaria like damascus as my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols whose graven images were greater than those of jerusalem and samaria shall i not do to jerusalem and her images just as i have done to samaria and her idols so it will be that when the lord has completed all his work on mount zion and on jerusalem he will say i will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of assyria and the pomp of his haughtiness, for he has said, by the power of my hand and by my wisdom I did this, for I have understanding, and I removed the boundaries of the peoples and plundered their treasures, and like a mighty man I brought down their inhabitants, and my hand reached to the riches of the peoples like a nest, and as one gathers abandoned eggs I gathered all the earth, and there was not one that flapped its wing or opened its beak or chirped is the axe to boast itself over the one who chops with it, is the saw to exalt itself over the one who wields it. That would be like a club wielding those who lift it, or like a rod lifting him who is not wood. Therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, will send a wasting disease among his stout warriors, and under his glory a fire will be kindled like a burning flame, and the light of Israel will become a fire and his Holy One a flame. And it will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in a single day. And he will destroy the glory of his forest and of his fruitful garden, both soul and body. And it will be as when a sick man wastes away. And the rest of the trees of his forest will be so small in number that a child could write them down. All right, that's the section we're going to deal with. So we want to read all the way through it. And I did stop a little bit already, but we'll go back through that. So, like I said, verses 1 through 1 and 2 is Israel's disobedience. It's that summarizing that. He's saying, well, God's saying, Woe to those who enact evil statutes and those who constantly record unjust decisions so as to deprive the needy and rob the poor so that widows may be spoiled. So, this is Israel, how they treat each other, especially the leadership, how they treat the poor and the people who can't defend themselves. And so, like I said, in verse 3, we see that God's going to send punishment to Israel for that disobedience and wickedness. And he says, what are you going to do? What will you do in the day of punishment? And the answer always is, when God decides to chasten or punish people or to judge people, there's nothing anybody can do. He, his, his purposes get accomplished because nobody can withhold his hand. Okay. Okay. And so, in verse 4, it says, nothing remains but the cross. So, so it's going to be very, very uh, severe punishment because of the way Israel was into idolatry and everything else. Now, verse 5 is where we'll pick up and start to, to really slow down and pick this up. Okay, so, he, God uses Assyria to punish them. These are the people who, who come into and do what we're about to read. So, in verse 5, it says, woe to Assyria the rod of my anger. Okay, that term right there is important. Assyria is an instrument, is God's chosen instrument of judgment against Israel. But he's saying immediately, woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hands... Is isn't. that a country? Yeah, Assyria was a country. And Syria, Syria without the AS is now, of course. In verse 6, I send it, this is God speaking, I send it against a godless nation. Okay, so you have God sending Assyria against Israel to punish them for their idolatry, for their wickedness. Okay, and so he says, I send it and commission it against the people of my fury, which is Israel, to capture booty and to seize plunder and to trample them down. So this is all devastating punishment for Israel, and so God is clearly taking responsibility for Assyria invading and and trampling, you know, and plundering.
1: Why does he say woe to Assyria.
0: We're going to get to that because, and this so, so the first part of this is what you want to see is that, and 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 when it says I send it, I send is, you know, it's, it makes it sound obviously what Assyria did in this invasion is wicked. Okay, but it says there, God sends it against a godless nation. So how do you deal with that? And what happens there is God is restraining, Assyria for a long time was wanting to invade Israel. Because they have wicked intentions. They want, they want to capture booty and they want, you know, plunder them and they want, they just, they're just arrogant and haughty. But God has been restraining them because he for his purposes, and Israel wasn't maybe as disobedient and as wicked as they were going to be. And so, when God, when God says he sends Assyria against Israel, what he does is he removes his restraint from Israel. I mean, from Assyria. Assyria's wicked, evil heart and their intention, they want to invade. Bad intentions. God restrains that. But when, when God's had enough of Israel's idolatry and wickedness, he removes his restraint from Assyria and allows them to to have the uh, culmination of the wickedness of their desires to invade Israel. So you see, so when God sends Assyria to Israel, he's not endorsing the evil actions of Assyria, but he's just removing their, his restraint against that nation and allowing them to invade, okay? So that's, that's, but you see his sovereignty there. He is the one doing it. He says clearly in verse six, I send it. He's sending Assyria. If he, if he didn't want Syria to invade, he could have kept restraining them. And he would have kept restraining them if Israel didn't become so wicked. So, does that make sense? And in verse 5 it says, that he's the, that they are the rod of his anger. So he's angry with Israel, and the, and the instrument of punishment he uses in this situation is Assyria. All right, so he moves his restraint, allows Assyria, Assyria to invade, and commission it against the people of my fury, to capture booty and to seize plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. So that's God's intention, to punish them. And that means capturing and, and trampling them down, okay? So that's his intention. His intention, God's intention in this situation is to punish Israel, is to chasten Israel. So it's, it's for Israel's good long-term, but it, right now it's, obvious it's, it's short-term devastation for them. It's punishment for their idolatry. So God's got a good purpose in it. He wants to chasten and, and train and punish Israel. And then verse seven. This is why. What your question was: Why does he say, "Woe to Assyria"? Woe to Assyria. Is verse seven. Yet it does not so intend. Okay. So so God sends it. Send, uh, removes his restraint. Allows Assyria to invade because he's got a good purpose. He wants to punish and not necessarily punish. His primarily chasten. To train Israel, and a lot of the time is just through. You know, when you, if you turn away from the true living God, He, Israel was their chosen nation, His chosen nation, and He cultivated them. But then they ended up when they ended up turning to idolatry. He removed His restraint and protection against them, took down the hedge, and allowed people to invade. But, but Assyria's, and see, this is where you see the other side of the coin. You see the. uh, the wicked intention of Assyria and their accountability okay in verse 7 says yet it does not so intend. So Assyria's intention is not to chase in Israel to make them more godly. That's not Assyria. Their intention is to go in there and just destroy. No I didn't. But you can if you want.
1: Assyria did not realize that she was the Lord's instrument, but thought her conquest were the
0: result of her own power. Yes. So God's purpose is good. Assyria is evil. Assyria is not trying to purify Israel. I'm plan down here. Uh-oh. Assyria is not trying to purify Israel. Like God, that's God's intention in allowing this. There is to capture booty and destroy. As we continue on, so it's yet it does not so intend Assyria, nor does it plan so in its heart. So Assyria doesn't have good intentions, but rather it is is its purpose, Assyria's, to destroy and to cut off many nations. And so God's intention is to purify and chasten Israel. Assyria's intention in the same action, we're talking about the same action here. God's purpose in it is good. Assyria's is evil. They want to destroy. God wants to purify Israel. And so you see how God acts sovereignly over these actions because Assyria could not invade them if he didn't allow them to invade them. He could, he could restrain them and continue, and he would have, again, if they wouldn't have turned wicked, Israel, that is, then he wouldn't have allowed Assyria to invade, and this happened over and over and over, because every time Israel got blessed, they became apathetic and fell into sin and idolatry, and the cycle continued. All right, so Assyria's purpose is to destroy and to cut off many nations, okay? And for it says, are not my princes all kings? And then you see this boastful rant of the king of, Isra- uh, king of Assyria saying, basically saying, I've destroyed all these other countries. What's different about Jerusalem? Is their God any different than all these other idols that I've already crushed? And the answer, of course, is yes. The true and living God is the God of Israel. All the other ones that he conquered, yes, he's correct. Those were worthless idols. and uh, So he's got a prideful, boastful heart. Where's verse 11, he says, Shall I not do to Jerusalem and her images just as I have done to Samaria and her idols? And so the Lord, See, so yeah, so the Lord's involved in this, and yet you see the wickedness of Assyria, and I think in particular we're talking about its king, where he's boasting. He's boasting, even though all God did was, if God didn't remove his restraint, Assyria wouldn't get anywhere near Israel. Yet he thinks in his heart that he's the one who plowed through. Um, the God of Israel, so-called, and you know he does not obviously believe in him, and and the invasion was successful because of his power and in, in his military. And so, in verse twelve, you see it turned back, and that's why it says, "Woe to Assyria!" at the beginning. But you see, so it will be that when the Lord has completed all His work, what would you say all His work is? There you go, chastening. chastening and purifying and punishing Israel. And and so once that's completed, once God has has accomplished what He determined to accomplish through this invasion, then uh oh, it's time to turn on. Um, he says, "I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the pomp of his haughtiness." And so you see, okay, He's gonna He's going to allow this evil king and this evil country to invade because He's got a good purpose. But once that's over, and God wants to remove to to remove the chastening, then he's going to turn righteously upon Assyria and their evil actions. And So again you see here God sovereignly is in control of this. He is, he is absolutely in control of every detail. And nothing happens without him, him allowing it to happen. Yet his purpose is good, and once his, ac- once his purpose is accomplished, Assyria's evil purposes will be punished. A serious evil purposes, and so this is why we're talking about the, the, the blend of, or the, the, the contrast between God's sovereignty, ruling everything, yet, individuals are held accountable for their evil desires. Because it's, God did not put anything evil into the heart of the king of Assyria. He had already had his evil there, he already had his evil desires, he, like I said, he'd been wanting to invade Israel for a long time, but God was restraining that evil. All God did was remove his restraint and that's how he works throughout all the world in, in individual hearts and in national. I mean, God is restraining so much evil we have no idea. We have absolutely no idea how much evil people have evil desires and they would love to accomplish more evil yet there's, there's, there's restraints whether it be directly from the Lord or whether it be through providential means like government, police, Think about if, if none of that was there, how much more evil there would be going on. And so God s- establishes these things providentially. But I also think he, he controls the hearts as well. He, he restrains the hearts. And So you have mass humanity full of wickedness and evil. That included us and still to a certain degree does. And, and, and so when God wants to accomplish something and he chooses to allow an evil action, whether it be just individual or um, He's got a purpose in it. Again, sometimes you don't know the purpose, like we do here because it's explained. But, you know, every individual evil act, like when somebody, you know, child rape or something horrific, God allowed it. He chose to allow it. Could have chosen not to allow it. So He's got a good purpose in it. And even though we don't have any idea at right now how that's going to work out, but the person who did the evil act, they're going to be held accountable. Do so you see what I mean? And that means every single evil action God could choose to
1: why do you think, like you probably heard on news this morning about that boy that died that was eight because he had ingested enough meth from his dad's stash?
0: Didn't know to, that. To kill no, him. I didn't hear that.
1: And the dad, instead of taking him to the hospital, nine one one, he took him over to a friend's house so that he wouldn't be caught dealing.
0: That's great. Yeah. Now that I mean stuff like that just. How do you justify that? Well, you, again, um, I would say this. As to purpose, why God allowed that to happen, I don't, those are purposes we don't know. God's got his eternal, hidden decree that we don't know. Like I said, we, what we're studying, we know because it's, he says in his word why he's doing this. But, uh, you know, one another way to look at it is, is he, who knows how much restraint he allowed in that situation. And there's consequences of the of the dad living like that, and sometimes that that passes along to the children. Yet, the little eight year old boy, I would I would imagine, is in glory with with God because you know I doubt he reached a condition where he could be held accountable. In my opinion, and God's going to do the right thing, and so. Yeah, but if
1: the boy, had grown up, the boy might have been just like his dad.
0: Could have been. So he might have he might have been of grace. By having him die before he could reach camp. I mean, I'm just speculating yeah. here. But but God will do the right thing, but as for why each individual situation he has a he has a he has the big picture and he's decreed it from the beginning. And you know, that happens every day. We just hear yeah. about it somewhere um, on the news. And I'm the same way sometimes. I'm like, you know, I, I wonder why in general, in broad, why it had to be so um like I said, so much pain, evil, suffering, everything else. And yeah, but, but ultimately, we're, we're the reason. He's not the reason. But why, but so, so you have to look at it from that perspective, that God chose to allow that to happen. But like Dad said, if that kid would have grown up and God didn't regenerate his heart, he would have done his own sin, whether it had been selling drugs or whatever, some other thing, we all do. And so it's the human race that's accountable for the evil. Yet, yeah, a young kid who, who seems like an innocent victim in the situation, and is. I mean, he didn't choose to sell meth, and he grew up in that situation. That's why I believe God shows grace in situations like that eternally. And the man is going to be held accountable unless he gets saved, and that's what we want. We want people to be forgiven and saved no matter how wicked they've done things. Um, but, but if he doesn't, there's not one sin that's not going to be held accountable. And the worse they are, the worse it's going to be for him. And that's pretty bad. To sell meth and, and not even get help your kid because you're afraid you're going to go to, you're going to get caught. That's that's pretty, that's pretty wicked. So again, like just like we're about to go with the getting there, just do. there's not anybody going to get away with anything. And so that's one thing you can always. You don't have to sit here and say, well, he got away with that, or man, it, you know, he's he's living and his son's dead and he's the one who did it. Well, God's going to sort all that out. That's when you know when you trust God and you understand His righteousness. But it should make us tremble, too, and make us thankful, too, because guess what? The only difference between us and that drug dealer is God. That's a, hum, that's a maybe a humbling piece of pie to eat, but that's the truth. If you'd have been born in that guy's situation and God didn't restrain your heart, I'd have guessed we'd do the same thing. That's to say, you know, it's, I believe that with all my heart. I believe if I'd have been born in Hitler's position and raised like Hitler was lit, raised and, and God didn't restrain me any more than he restrained Hitler, I can't imagine I'd do anything different. Got to know the wickedness of the human heart. but yeah, specifically why he chooses to why he didn't save that kid and, you know, and have that work out a different way because he's got a different purpose. we don't those hidden purposes we don't know all the time most of the time we don't. but yes, it's he. He's, he, God chose to allow that to happen because he's got a good purpose in it. And it could very well could be, like I said, like Dad said, to save that kid from growing up to rebelling against God like he very likely would have. And so that's kind of the best guess I would have. But every day, like I said. Um,
1: you just wonder where these people
0: come from. Huh? Adam. Yeah, that's We true. all came from Adam. And so, like I said, I mean, you know, I know you, it's easy to, you, you, It's good to point out that you, as a Paul, to think of. You know, I, I have a hard time imagining that, that situation where I, I would be so depraved that Gracie was in trouble and and I didn't even get her help because I was more worried about myself. I like to think myself would never do that, but I can't say that. I can't say that if God didn't, you know, save me first off, and and. If I would have been unsaved, I, I sometimes I have nightmares thinking about what I'd be like if he didn't save me. I mean, you had no idea how dark I was. And we all were, but I mean, specifically me, I was very, 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 very dark in a very dark path. And, uh, and so if he, if he didn't save me and just allowed me to stay in my sin, who knows what I... Yeah, I, mean, I can't sit here and say anything, so I can't judge the guy. And, but, but it's appalling, it's appalling behavior. I'm not. I'm not saying it's justified or anything like that. It's appalling behavior. Well, you see, God is restraining evil all the time. <laughs> and you
1: don't you just think really though? I mean, is it uh, Nat? I don't know. Is this how I can put this? But anybody that has any conscience or any feeling of humanity. I mean, I don't care if you're in a dark place or you're in a good place. I just can't believe
0: somebody would not try to help their family yeah, well I can I can understand You're like I right said I can, I can. And, and just thank the Lord that he has he has put you in situations where you have, you have that attitude, but you got to understand you were raised in parents that loved you, so that's where you, that's what you were taught. I was too um, but people some people aren't some people are raised in a, where they get raped and they get abused and how does that I imagine the guy who sells meth. Again, he's held accountable for what he's doing. This is not a, an excuse for anybody. But I would just have a hard time imagining he was, he was raised in a nuclear, oh. solid family. Yeah, so you had that advantage. I had that advantage. Gracie's, God's grace has that advantage. But a lot of people don't have that advantage. That's right. But it doesn't get them off the... The whole point is I'm not saying... They, they come to a condition to where they start willfully sitting. But, but you can't sit there and say that if you're raised in an environment where you're raped as a kid, how that couldn't possibly harden your heart and affect you, oh, yeah. you know. So it's a blend. Sin has consequences. That's every sin has consequences, and and that's one motivation that I, that God puts on my heart a lot is I understand that my sin's not isolated. So if I choose to make a willfully sinful decision, it's not isolated to me. It affects her. It affects Stephanie. It affects you all. It affects anybody around me. Same with you. And so it's a, it's a providential motivation, I think. But ultimately, you want to do it because you love God and you love Christ and you, and you know that you're going to be blessed if you obey Him and you're going to be cursed if you don't. It's that simple. And for a Christian, you don't get, you don't get punished eternally, but every sin you willfully commit as a Christian has consequences. He doesn't let you off the hook because you're a Christian. Eternally, he does. Yes, Christ died for your sins. You'll never pay for him when you die. But right now, if you do something willfully sinful, you will affect. It will corrupt you in your your inner being, and it will affect people around you. I mean, if I go out and break the law and somebody, and I get arrested, guess what? I don't pull out a card and say, "I'm a Christian. I've been forgiven." So you gotta let me off the hook. That's not how it works. So there's consequences, temporary, for the Christian. But even that. Is God uses to shape you. So every sin you willfully commit, you're gonna have consequences, but God's using, just like we're talking about here, God uses that to train you. He's purifying you with your own sin, willful sin. So ultimately down the road, hopefully, you get trained by it and you realize, okay, I've been through this, I realize this is a sin, and, and I realize what happened last time and the impact, and I don't want to do that again. That's God training you. He's, he's teaching you, and if you keep doing it, he's gonna make it worse. That's how it works. He doesn't, he doesn't. And so, but you see the with an unbeliever, there's no upward purification just like with Israel. And you compare Israel and Assyria. He's not, he's, not, he's not purifying Assyria because guess what? He, that's not his nation. Israel is his chosen nation. And so he's purifying Israel with wicked Assyria even though Israel's pretty wicked too. But he's purifying Israel But when he, when he punishes Assyria here. You'll see as we read along. He, there's no purification; there's devastation, and that's what happens to the unbeliever too.
1: I was reading, listening to one of our friend John. Started yeah.
0: My endorsed. Talking,
1: he said that something that's really stuck with me. He was talking about sanctification, and and he said it's not that you're going to you're not going to sin. You're going to be you're going to sin less. Yes. I just, that really hit That's home. really
0: good, isn't it? I've yeah. heard him say that many times. And he also usually says, it's not, I'm sure you've heard him say this because he says it a lot. It's not perfection, but it's direction. Yeah. Because you'll never be perfect. And, yeah. but, but you don't use that as a hook right. or as a reason to get off the hook for sin because you can. You can use that, oh, I'm not going to be perfect. And I've done that to myself. But there is an upward direction. Yeah. Again, God's going God to take you, any Christian, like this, okay? And it goes like this, but you're going up. And he's gonna use whatever you do to purify you. And and my advice is the quicker you can learn obedience, instead of him using your sin and and then being chastened to, to sanctify you, it's much more fun it's much more <laughs> you'll be blessed and people around you be blessed, you'll be able to be used to bring people to Christ. You'll you'll have a blessed, joyful, peaceful life if you choose to by the power of the Spirit to obey Him. And I wish, I, you know, again, I could sit here and I mean, I, I remember early on in my Christian life when I knew, I, I began to turn towards the backslide and I thought, man, you know, a couple couple of months ago this seemed like it was a sin, but now it doesn't seem like a sin, I, but I knew. But I pressed on anyway in the sin. And so I was, I even, even didn't have the, a ton of theology, I still knew. He, he makes, he doesn't, it's not a mystery when you start to willfully sin. And you're like, mm, I don't know if I should be doing this. And then if like Pastor Faith says all the time, well, he doesn't hit you over the head with two by four immediately. He usually kind of warns you a little bit, warns you a little bit, and sometimes sometimes they'll just turn you over and say, okay, you want that? You can have it for a while. And he lets you bury yourself in an idolatry. And then man, coming out of that is painful. But, uh, but if you can learn, wow, I think I'll really, every day, Give it my give God give Christ my heart and just live for Him, and believe Him and study His Word and pray to Him, and realize that's the blessed life. But it's a war, like we talked about, it. and just like what you're reading or hearing, it is a war because the flesh and the world around us is wants to pull us away. And, and I mean, you can be the most mature Christian, and you kind of take your eye off the ball for just a little bit of time, and man, you you could get dull and worldly real quick. I, I mean, I'm fighting. I mean, he knows I'm fighting. I mean, I'm fighting every day, but it doesn't take much for you to get off the, the path. But, Everybody. Yeah. So it's difficult, but it's difficult either way. That's, that's why I always remind myself, yes, this hurts. I mean, ch- uh, sanctification hurts sometimes. So, oh, but if your intention is, but if you're really your heart is on the Lord, the, you have a joy through that, through that, through that struggle. But if you're, but if you're, if you're, if you're not fighting and you're not stress, striving for that, and you turn over to worldliness and you kind of give in, that's not easy either. That's you, that's just. But you're not going anywhere. You're going down, yeah. and you know when you go down, you have to come back up well, that same yeah. hill. And so, but it's a war.
1: I just like when he said that a lot, and I thought, oh, I'm going to say that all the
0: time. Yes. So I'm
1: not going to sin, but I'm going to sin less.
0: And that's your goal, and that's goal. you know. And yes. it is a dual-edged sword because because you can go both ways. Like I said, yes, you can become so aware of your sin because you're not, you're not gonna live, you're gonna live five minutes or five seconds without having some kind of a minor sin. But you but your effort should be to obey him by his. You gotta rely again. If anything we've talked about recently is you you have to do it dependent on him. If you try and do the spiritual life on your own, it it will not happen. It will, it will, you'll go the other way. And so it's all about dependence on him, striving, but still, even in, on your best hour, you're going to be thanking him for his mercy. Mm -hmm. And, and I've heard John say this, is that the more holy you get by his grace, the more aware you are of your own, what sin you do have left, even though it's less, but you're more aware of it because you're fighting it. And so it seems worse to you. So you're more, you're more appalled by yourself the less sinful you are. Because the closer you get to Christ, you realize how uh, merciful and kind and all those things as well. So, yeah. He is
1: such a good preacher.
0: He's very, very good.
1: And I like, he says things twice. I, at first it bothered me. <laughs> you know, he'd say something and then I'd repeat it again. And I think, okay, I got it the first time. But then I think, maybe I didn't get it the first time.
0: He knows what he's doing. He's been doing it for fifty years.
1: Yeah, guess he's
0: been doing it. I do. I mean, again, yeah, he's he. Everything he has is a gift from God. God, but God has used him in mighty ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people who are very thankful to God for John MacArthur and his ministry, and I have certainly one of them. I can't I would imagine. Love to
1: see him in person.
0: You know, I gotta say, one day, one day, he comes to Louisville, and you know, I almost went over. Uh, if that
1: happens next year, yeah, let's go.
0: Well, remember I called you. I told you he's speaking right yeah. now. He was speaking right when you called me that time. And okay, I, I'm
1: talking in person.
0: It's hard because it's right in April, but there was a book. There was a bookstore open late, and I almost went over. But I wasn't sure if he was going to be there or not. Sometimes no, I, I don't
1: care, about it, but I want to see him and preach
0: it. Yeah, well, we almost went. We almost flew to California to do that. That's what we ought to do. Just fly. fly. Just make sure he's there. I always. Fly doesn't sound good to me. Okay. Well, you call. You call out there and make sure he's preaching. It's, and we had a date set and everything. We just, just didn't, it, we the money and you know it's.
1: But I mean, if he's in Lowell.
0: Every it won't be next year. It's oh, every two years.
1: Okay, I'll be seventy-five.
0: Together for the gospel. Yeah, it's amazing that he's been in Lowell so many times and and. Uh, I
1: mean, I want. To, I mean, I'll make whatever happens happen.
0: You have to fly.
1: No, here.
0: <laughs> I would actually love to, you know, in the off season to, uh, you know, save the money up, and that's what we were planning on like, trying to do is is going out there for like four or five days and and because he preaches, you know, you can do all, you know, there's, the church is always doing something, oh, and uh, they probably have Wednesday night and just spend the whole week there, mm-hmm. and then Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and and just and walk around. There's a seminary there, and and of course there's this Los Angeles, so there's other things you can do, but that, that I I would too, but. I'm beginning to think that's not going to happen because he's not young. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> he's not young. He's still, he's still hanging in there, but... How old is he? Uh, you know what? I'm not sure. I'd say high 70s, but I'm not oh, sure. Oh,
1: really? Yeah. I've never seen a picture of him, except on the little one you're reading here in the sermon.
0: Yeah. I told you I found him by accident, so it was one of those blessings. Yes, it was. And I give his Bibles out unapologetically. I mean, I'll give them to anybody who wants one because I, and I gave one to... Uh, Greg, I told you that.
1: Uh, 79. He's
0: 79. 79, okay. Wow. I gave one to Greg, and, and it really has helped him a lot too, because he reads the notes. Yeah. Again, he, you know, they're not all. I'm sure there's, there, he's got errors there, but he's, but it's not just him too. We also got to understand, that whole seminary is what did all this editing. Now he did the final editing and everything else, but, yes, it's it's about as helpful as a, a, a resources you could have.
1: His, his voice doesn't sound seventy
0: nine. Yeah, so very he powerful. is. I knew he was. he's he getting older, and you can you can see the impact over the past as everybody. All anyway, right. Well, we got to get back I'm to our sorry. lesson. I'm always the one that. Takes yeah. I know. This, so. But no, like I said, we don't want to exalt a man, but yeah, John MacArthur is best. I can't say if I, if anybody ever asked me, he's the first name I say. You can't go. You you no. rarely can go wrong with one of his sermons. John uh-huh. MacArthur rebukes Joel Steen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not a fan of Joel Steen. You should listen to this and then he gets into him pretty hard. All right, so we're back to this. So, so when he gets done with his purging work of Israel, verse 12, uh, so it will be when the Lord has completed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Syria and the pomp of his haughtiness. For he has said, and then he goes through the him bragging again this is what the king of Syria says, well by my hand, you know I did this and I did this and I did this, but the truth is the only reason he was he, he, the only reason he got to Israel is because God allowed him to, and God had a good purpose in it and so he had no no um, he had absolutely no power to invade Israel other than the Lord allowing it. But this this king of Assyria is bragging, and so guess what? Mm -hmm. He's going to pay for that. And so in verse 15 it says, Is the axe to boast itself over the one who chops with it? And is the saw to exalt itself over the one who wields it? And so he's bragging, but all he is is he's an axe head, or he's a saw, and the one handling the axe of the saw is God. He's an instrument. That's all he is. He's a tool of God's judgment only because he allows it, because he's chosen. To pur to purify Israel through this means. But he's bragging. And so that would be like an axe looking up to the person saying, Hey, I'm gonna chop this tree down. And the truth is, the axe if you laid the axe down, he wouldn't be doing anything. And nor would the saw. It was only because God again, God's not doing the evil act of Assyria, but he is allowing it. And so ultimately He's willing it.
1: Nothing more than an instrument.
0: That's one of the if you can just learn one thing on this, this whole sovereignty and human will thing, is that this, this truth, that God, any evil act is allowed by God, but not only that, God chooses to allow it, and he could choose not to. So that's where the responsibility of God for the evil act, again, he's not responsible in a sense where he wants it or intends it, but he, the desire comes from the evil heart. But he removes he the restraints and allows he and he could choose not to. He chooses to allow the evil of the heart of the person, and they will be held accountable, yet he could have chosen not to. So there's the, the ultimate decisive factor in any evil act is God, and whether it happens or not. Yet he has absolutely nothing to do with tempting, nothing to do with evil. That's all, and so the, the person who does the evil act is held accountable. They will be judged for it. Because it's their evil desire.
1: No, wait If God allows it. Say that again.
0: If God chooses to allow somebody's evil desire to be fulfilled, it's still their evil desire. God had nothing to do with that evil desire becoming it. Like, say, Assyria, they wanted to invade. The king of Assyria wanted to invade Israel. That was an evil desire. They should not have wanted to invade Israel. It's an evil desire, and they were probably sitting there just, you know, wanting that really badly. And so there's the desire. God didn't originate that desire. That desire is a temptation. That is a desire of the evil heart, and who knows? Maybe Satan tempted them and said, hey, yeah, go get Israel. But that had, God had nothing to do with the desire being implanted in that heart. God didn't, God didn't put in their heart, do something evil. It was already there. That desire was already there, created by their own will. But God was restraining that evil desire, not allowing it to fulfill itself. And, and if God never removes, if God restrains that evil desire, it never comes to pass. That's where we say God is responsible, ultimately, in the sense of he has to allow it to happen. And he could choose not to allow it to happen. And there's, I imagine for whatever evil we talk about today and that we have, that there's probably 10 million evil acts he doesn't allow to happen because he restrains. Yet he lets some go. He lets people, he, he, because he's got a purpose for it. He's got a good purpose for it. And so that's the ultimate, if you can understand that, that, that re- relationship between God's sovereignty and, and the human accountability, it really helps because it helps explain a lot of things because that's one of the challenges. A lot of people, when you evangelize or anything, they'll, they'll talk about well. If God is all powerful and God is good, look around. I mean, how to, how could His world be like this? So you have to explain that. And like I always say, the person you're talking to, I say, well, it's it's a good thing that He does allow evil because He's allowing your evil and He allowed my evil. You know, the the person challenging God or challenging the existence of God or doesn't believe in God, that's evil. And so God is allowing that person to have that conversation with you and God could, could justly condemn that person. I try to r- gently remind people that, that before we go on to the discussion, I'm like, well, you've done some evil things. You know, probably glad he didn't wipe you out and send you to hell because mm-hmm. he could have. So you always want to put that there and then you move on along to God allows evil because he's got a good purpose for it. We don't know. Like I said, something like this, this, you know, the real tough stuff, you just trust ultimately to know that yeah Would oh, that be hard. It would be. It would be.
1: It's easy to say, oh that's how it is, but boy I it have would It would be.
0: It would be. Hard. But you gotta have as a Christian, now as a non Christian, it's gonna be impossible to have that trust in him. But as a Christian, that's a daily thing. You know, you gotta be daily if you're if, if you're really daily walking with him and trusting him, and you will get to points where you really are just so trusting in him you understand that no matter what happens absolutely uh it's for your good even the worst thing in the world you can possibly imagine but yeah i pray every day for her, her safety and for her spiritual safety and for you know the all's and you know i don't want anything bad to happen to any of us yet i i know that it's not in my control a and b it goes through him it doesn't get to us if it doesn't go through him and ultimately, like I said, he didn't have to save any of us, he saved a lot of us. And so that's where you, your heart is thankful. And old, eternity is what you're looking for anyway. He may allow something horrible to us, but it's for our good. And there's some scriptures that are really humble you um, in Hebrews where it talks about, there's people who were, there's, I don't know if they were prophets or just Christians or whoever, but they were allowed, they were getting tortured in in prison tortured not just jailed but tortured in jail and they refused to be set free and the and the motive was so they could they, so they could have a greater eternal reward now, i don't know if it was you had to deny christ or whatever it is to go free but they refused we'll have to look that up sometime and and so that so they they were looking for the kingdom and that's what you got to have your mind on always it, it's hard but you got to try to that so you're thinking like I've said, this is a, you know, our life is like nothing compared to eternity. And so if you're thinking about eternity more than you are now, then you'll be able to say and trust and move along and do those things. But you should still pray. I hope you pray for me and, I do. and you know pray mostly that I would be relying on him. That's what I always ask for people to pray, because that's what I need more than anything. Is my little self-control thing is just one of those little I, I just, like hemorrhoids we flares about, up. <laughs> saying that last week or whatever it was that you were saying that is what you say
1: you got every morning I thought, I want to try that too.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's you. Yeah, you're you got that type A. Yep. And everybody's everybody has control issues, but I probably have more oh, than I most. I have more than anybody too. And uh, and I think any any kind of leadership characteristic. You know Type A
1: personality, I guess. And again,
0: you, you, he does want us to do things, obviously, but it's under his. Yeah. Is relying on him and seeking his will and then going to do it with all your heart and all your mind and, and, and trying not to control the situation, but just to do serve him with the best you can. And that's kind of that whole sanctification thing. First you go to him, depend on him, and then he'll cut you loose to do some things. And then you go do them. You don't sit there and just stay in a corner and pray all the time. No, he wants us out there involved, but you go to him first and rely upon him first, and your relationship is right with him first, and then you go do. Because if you go do without going to him first, you're going to end up doing a whole bunch of dumb stuff, or useless stuff, and then you'll end up wearing yourself out because you're just trying to do it on your own power. And that does not work. All right, so back to Assyria. So they're, bra- they're boasting like they had anything to do with this. And so now it's time for their punishment. Verse 16, Therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, will send a wasting disease among his stout warriors. So all his mighty military people, well, guess what? God's going to instantly send them a disease that's going to waste them away. They have nothing to do with their health. And under his glory, a fire will be kindled like a burning flame. So underneath this this so-called glory of the king of Assyria, well, God's just going to burn that up. And the light of Israel will become a fire and his holy one a flame. And it will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in a single day. And he will destroy the glory of his forest and his fruitful garden, both soul and body. And it will be as when a sick man wastes away and the rest of the trees of the forest will become so small that a child could write them down. So you see his punishment... Of Assyria is devastation, destruction. There's no purifying there, and that's the same thing with the believer and the unbeliever. God will send things, tough things, into our life, but it's always like we talk about; it's for our good. But for the unbeliever, yeah, he may choose to allow a whole lot of wickedness for a while, but ultimately, when that day comes for the unbeliever, it'll be devastation and just eternal destruction. There will be no purifying. Hell is not. Uh, rehabilitative it is only punishment. There's no rehabilitation down there. It is just pure judgment, and that's what God does to His enemies. And so, this, so this whole time Assyria is just boasting away and thinking they're, you know, and, and probably Israel is probably thinking the whole time, man, you know, yeah, we get we're godless, but these people are more godless, and they were Assyria is more godless than Israel because God never well, worked with them yet. He was doing it for a good purpose for Israel. And then ultimately, Israel, Israel ends up, of course, Israel hadn't even reached that state where, well, um, you know, ultimately, Israel is going to be reestablished. As, you know, as we've talked about, there, there will be a believing remnant at the end of the tribulation. They will be fully restored. And, and so there will be a glory for Israel that has not happened yet. Now they're back in their land, and so you can see the, the the potential for that happening, but if they haven't reached it, obviously they're in unbelief and so after, but after the tribulation period, God purifies them down to the remnant, and they all believe they all get saved, and then he Christ returns and sets up the kingdom and guess where Christ rules from Israel He, he rules from Jerusalem and so all right, well, I guess that's about it. So I think the, the, the lesson we, I really, if you could understand that concept of, of how God is in ultimate, total control of and decisive over everything that happens. And he's, and he, but he doesn't tempt, he doesn't intend, never wants anybody to commit a sin. He doesn't, he didn't want Israel to desire to invade Israel. I mean, he didn't want Assyria to desire wickedly to invade Israel didn't want that. God didn't intend for that. He wasn't pleased with that. He allowed it. And then he removed the restraint and let them have what they wanted because again he had a good purpose in it. And but Assyria's evil purpose was judged. They were, they were demolished. And one more little scripture, one more scripture that we'll just read briefly that really sums up. There's another example of this. Probably the ultimate example of this. Where God allows evil Wicked things, but because he's got a good purpose for it. Is Acts, is page 1602. Acts chapter 2. Do you have to go out or something? Is that the problem? We're about done, Hunter. Can you hold it for a second?
1: God has a purpose.
0: (laughs) God has a purpose in you holding it, us finishing. All right, yeah, page 1602. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This man, talking about Jesus Christ. Wait. All right, I'll read verse 22, set the context. Men of, This is Peter talking. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man, he's talking to Israel, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined... Here's where we go, get, get into it. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. Okay, so you see there again that God... Okay, God, Jesus Christ was delivered over to the cross by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It was God's plan that Jesus Christ go to the cross. Yeah. But, but he points at them and says, You nailed him to a cross by the, by the hands of godless men, which are the Romans, and put him to death. And so they are accountable for doing it. Yet God had predetermined it happened. Why? Because he had a good purpose in it. And you talk about the ultimate good purpose, salvation. That's what God accomplished salvation on the cross. Sweet. Yet, it was also probably the most wicked act in the hi- history of the human world. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God mm-hmm. was nailed to a cross unjustly. Yet, God had the ultimate good purpose in that. And so, he chose to allow, or he could have stopped Rome, or he could have stopped Israel. He could, the, have stopped could have stopped them, and Jesus could have stopped it. He said, it. He, nobody yeah. takes his life from him. He laid it down of his own accord, so the Father or the Son could have stopped it if they wanted to. Yet, they had a good purpose in mind, and so they chose to allow. But those people who put him on the cross and didn't get saved, now there were quite a few of them, I think, that during a couple of these early Acts sermons, these Jews came to faith. The early church was a lot of Jews, but the ones that didn't. And the Romans, the one that hit him in the mouth, I always think about the guy who sucker punched Jesus. (laughs) Wouldn't want to be that guy, unless he got saved. So, so you see, God has good purpose. Men have wicked purpose, and they're held accountable. And the only, but, but still, ultimately, the decisive factor in any 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 act happening is God. He could choose to stop anything he wants to. And so, you never want to have this God in your mind of somebody. He, he just, man, he really loves to straighten his mess out, but he just can't do it. That's that's blasphemy. And so, but it's tough. You understand that 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 uh. Like we say, sometimes we ask, why, why, you know, why this, why that? But you have to know that he's got a good purpose in it. And anybody who doesn't get saved will be held accountable for their evil act. Anybody. That's not just rapists and and murderers, that's anybody. Will be held accountable for their evil. And yeah, the world is one big, giant heap of sinful humanity. And that's why it is the way it is. All right. Well, we'll do. We'll do love next week.
1: Love will be love.
0: <laughs> love, love will be a little more. Oh, yeah. But this is good to know.
1: Oh no, I'm, I'm not.
0: Until next time. Thank you for joining us.